0: Today's podcast brought to you by Elders and Reinegaard by Zoetis. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to the Weekly Grill. Today, it's a concern from July 1st this year, a new biosecurity levy will be introduced on all primary producers. To talk about the levy, I'm joined by the new, relatively new, that is, CEO of Cattle Australia, Dr Chris Parker. Chris, welcome.
1: Lovely to be here, Kerry, and uh, hello to your listeners.
0: Thank you very much. Now, what's wrong with this new levy?
1: Well, fundamentally, we believe that right from the start, this was a flawed process, Kerry. I mean, they they decided they were going to put this in place. They didn't talk to industry about it at all. It appeared in the budget papers. They then ran a consultation process where... uh, we didn't feel there were opportunities to uh, put forward uh, particular views or even those views were being listened to. And You know, we were getting quite agitated because hearing nothing from the government. Now, this week at Senate Estimates, the Minister's made an announcement and uh, to be honest, he's listened to some of our concerns, particularly around equity, you know, and, and, and we think that's important. But more importantly for us, also, he's made some announcements around industry having some oversight of where this money may be spent and uh, how it's being spent.
0: Well, that's very different, isn't it? But uh, it's not that much, is it? Uh, Just 50 cents a head. And it was to be paid each time a beast was to be sold, but that's not the case at present.
1: Yeah, that was the original plan, Kerry. And we had made it very, very clear that we thought that was deeply unfair. Um, and uh, if they were going to, if they were going to persist with this levy, which they're clearly going to, um, they needed to find a more equitable way of doing it. The other issue for us, of course, mate, was the fact that we're in a space where, if you under their old system, if you didn't weren't collecting a levy or you you weren't contributing already, then you weren't going to contribute under the new system. Now they've moved that system to a GVP based model um, and uh, averaged over three years and we think that's a much fairer way of doing it and they'll be collecting it from, uh, from every part of uh, agriculture. So, um, But there are some significant changes there yes. that we're going, you still need to do. So is it still a mystery? I mean,
0: with livestock especially, once a beast reaches the meatworks, is it paid there? Is that where the levy stops? I mean, there's Well, no,
1: or... very, very good question <laughs> because we're still waiting on the detail and I'm very worried that the devil will be in the detail. Um, I think they're they're talking about potentially uh, the levy being paid or the tax it is being paid at slaughter or being paid at export for for live cattle. So it's a bit challenging to understand their exact plans because we haven't had those in-depth conversations and that's what worries me. But but suffice to say, we do at least welcome the Minister's announcement this week that he's listening to some of our concerns.
0: So you were going to pay it, two or three or four times during the lifetime of any yep. livestock, so it's going to be once. Yep. Uh, what's the estimate of what sort of money might this take out of the beef industry?
1: Well, under the GVP-based model, um, they're saying that uh, cattle is about 18% of the total, which equates to $9 million because they're looking to collect $50 million out of industry through this tax.
0: Now, the, the budget... Just looking through those recent budget papers, there's about two hundred and sixty or two hundred and seventy million dollars per year allocated to biosecurity. That levy is just a small part of that amount, isn't it? Really,
1: it is. It, it is a small component, and and uh, the government will say uh, it's a reasonable component for uh, for producers to pay. But, Kerry, I'd I, I quietly and respectfully point out to the government, as I have done, that. Farmers are not the only beneficiaries of a biosecurity system. And yes, taxpayers pay, and yes, importers pay some at this stage. But there's a whole range of other beneficiaries in the economy who are not being asked to pay. So farmers are taxpayers as well, so we're being asked to pay twice because supposedly we're somehow some you know, extra beneficiary. I, I, I use the example, Kerry, that says, as a producer, as I'm a producer, um, I'm paying my taxes, and I'm going to be paying this levy. As a, a as a four wheel drive operator in a national park, taking tours of tourists around, you're paying through your taxes, sure, but that's it. Yeah. And the biosecurity system protects your income as well because it's protecting the environment which you're showing tourists to. So I, I don't think enough work has been done on who one the risk creators are, and two. The, all, all the beneficiaries of the biosecurity system. And then three, how do you make all the beneficiaries pay if that's your policy position? Our view is, is that these are fundamental uh, functions of government and should be paid out of consolidated revenue, out of taxpayer funds. Did, now, did, government's taken a different view. Let's work through that.
0: Tell us about the background and the cons- consola- uh, consolation between the industry and the government about this initial process of putting... 50 cents on every time a beast was sold. And I guess it was the the strength of the lobby group that changed them from that to a
1: once-only. Well, we would say it's one of the benefits for being a member of an organisation like cattle Australia. We have lobbied, along with others in agricultural industry, very hard to change the government's mind. They initially didn't really talk to us at all because they knew that we'd be cranky about this, so they just put it in the budget papers. And then ran a consultation process, which, to be honest, Gary, we weren't entirely happy with. We don't think it really had the opportunity to bring out the issues. And we were starting to get anxious that things were not being listened to. So we ramped it up again and went and talked with government, went and talked with the department who's going to be administering this. And we are able to get some of these changes, not all of our changes, but some of these changes. And we still think more work is required to get this to a place where it would be a reasonable policy position. Uh, Def did try
0: a, a similar sort of extra levy a few years back, but dropped it after a lot of objections. Uh, what do you think might have changed since then that now they think they can
1: do it? Well, the levy they were going to put in place uh, is one we want them still to put in place, and we're still asking for information on that, and that was going to be on importers, Kerry, what they call the container levy they were ah. talking about. Now, supposedly there are some issues around the WTO compatibility of that levy, but We're still waiting on the government to give us a final indication of, one, why they can't do it, or two, if they are going to do it, how they are going to do it? So that's another section of the economy, if you like, which isn't paying for biosecurity currently. So we need to be thinking about how we manage all of those, and government needs to be explaining to the entire system how it's going to make this fair.
0: Uh, Chris, you've had a pretty broad career in agriculture at a very, very senior level, including a stint with the federal ag department. Was this ever mooted when you were in the bureaucracy?
1: No, Kerry. I think you can you can say all sorts of things are mooted um, when you're in the bureaucracy, <laughs> yes. and uh, okay. I, was, I was party to a whole range of conversations, which uh, I suspect the police would be knocking on my door if I started to talk about it on the radio. True. <laughs> okay,
0: okay when they, when this was uh, the kite was flown several years back the productivity commission said there were several factors of concern including this is about a, an extra levy for biosecurity there were several factors of concern including accountability efficiency and this is a, a lack of clear links to derived or desired outcomes do you recall, do you recall that or, and does it still I is do. it still applicable today
1: 100% applicable and this is the you know what we were talking about earlier, that we don't believe that there has been appropriate economic modelling to describe, one, who the risk creators are in this space and, more importantly, two, who are the beneficiaries. That would be the basics of good policy. You would then say, okay, they're the risk creators they should pay, they're the beneficiaries maybe they should pay and how might we design a system to do that? Well, that in-depth economic analysis has not occurred. Now, the government's announced that this will be reviewed in three years' time, this new levy that they're going to put in place on on cattle producers, and we would say in that period of time we need to see some of that economic modeling so we can then make a decision about the need for this in a few years' time. And it might go up. Well, you know, have you ever seen a tax go down?
0: (laughs) Good good point. Now, let me play devil's advocate here. Surely we could use the extra money to cope with the obvious... uh, increased pressure because of the nearness of lumpy skin disease and, dare I say, foot and mouth disease?
1: Well, I, I, I'd, I'd agree with your, your position. I mean, Catalyst Australia has been very clear that we think uh, the increased in investment in biosecurity is needed. Um, and there's no doubt about that. This is a discussion about how that's paid for. Um, we we applauded the government when they introduced uh, uh, funding and, uh, and this consistency of sustainable funding into biosecurity, and we think that's a good thing. Um, but what we would say is, is that the biosecurity system does not just protect farmers. It protects the environment. It protects our way of life. And we need to find an equitable way, equitable way for that to be paid for, Kerry. And that, that to me, is the key to this. Let's see the modelling that says, this is the risk creators, this is the beneficiaries. Then let's have the discussion over how we're going to pay. Government's just gone, farmers are the beneficiaries, they're the ones who are going to have to pay. Go away. Well, this,
0: uh, I, We'll go further into this, but it's time for a break. Back in a moment. Breathe easy with RhinoGuard, the only single-dose intranasal vaccine for control of IBR in your cattle. Get in control of bovine respiratory disease, that's BRD, before it begins. Just deliver a single intranasal spray of RhinoGuard for rapid IBR control and add a single dose of BoviShield MH14 protection against pneumonia. For rapid protection against MH and IBR in your wieners and pre-feedlot cattle, breathe easy with OverShield and RhinoCut, available from your local vet today. For over 180 years, Elders has proudly been supporting Australian livestock producers. Elders supports your business across the production cycle with more than 350 livestock agents, access to specialist livestock advice and auction services. Draw on our established relationships to buy and sell commercial and stud livestock across domestic and international markets. Enjoy Del Credere guaranteed payments when you sell with Elders. Livestock funding also available subject to approval. Elders for Australian Agriculture. Chris Park is our guest on the grill. Chris is CEO of Cattle Australia. Chris, we've put the microscope on the upcoming biosecurity level, uh, a levy, I beg your pardon. Cattle Australia has a raft of responsibilities to Australia's um, grass-fed cattle sector. What else is on the Cattle Australia worry list at present?
1: Well, I think the big one for us is uh, is allowing uh, land management and the government's ambitions around their 2050 net zero. Um, and they're, they're two really important things. And I think in the net zero stuff, what we've said is we need a balanced approach. And, and by a balanced approach, uh, people go, what do you mean by that, Chris? Well, what we mean is, is that what we need to look at is, is that not only are we an emitter, which we are, but we're part of the solution. And the emissions we create are actually part of a biogenic cycle, a natural cycle, which also needs to be recognised. So what we would say is you can't just put a cow in a box, measure the methane and go, that's the emissions coming out of them. What you need to do is put it in the cycle that's there. The other component is for us is, is that cattle production in this country covers about 50% of the landmass of the country. 80% of agricultural land is grass-fed cattle. We'd say... Producers have an important part in actually managing the environment as well in that environment, and that's another important component. They also have a really important role in the sustainability of regional remote communities. Again, another part of the Balancing Act, Um, and you can't be doing things that are going to be destroying that because who's going to manage the land and who's going to support those regional indies?
0: The carbon issue, Chris, um, I get the impression talking to people that there's, uh, it ranges from wild enthusiasm to complete ignorance. It's, it's still a big, bit of a puzzle, isn't it? The carbon credits,
1: carbon grazing issue. And, and it's such a great observation, Kerry, because we, We're in an environment where we've got a whole range of producers out there who really don't know which way to move. It will be encouraging government, as we have done in our submission to them, to be saying we need to be providing support to producers so producers are able to get a clear understanding of what this means for them, how they might measure it, and how they might mitigate it. But importantly for us, this isn't just about carbon neutrality. If we go all the way back to Paris, they talked about no more warming. So our view is climate neutrality, as in no further contribution to warming, is an important consideration, as is the ability to treat methane and measure methane and its effects in a different manner, both of which we think are important considerations in managing carbon for the the cattle industry. The MV
0: Bahija, I think that's how you pronounce it, that cattle shipment headed to the Middle East, ordered back, and when it got here nobody could decide what to do with it. Was this Did this involve Cattle Australia at all? Uh,
1: I've been intricately involved in that and uh, uh, intricately involved in talking to the government and talking to the exporter in uh, looking to assist in finding solutions. But what a debacle, Gary.
0: Well, it, well it's, it, it's, know, it's the, bizarre that the ship is ordered back and when it arrives there, nobody
1: knows what to do with it. The complete stagnation of decision-making... In, by the regulator in that department is astounding. It distresses me as a as, a, as an ex um, senior member of that department that we we've seen this stagnation in decision making. It has not been helped by uh, by some of the animal rights and some of the animal welfare organisations who who seem to think they need to be sticking their nose into a regulatory process. But if the department had made the decision earlier. There wouldn't have been opportunities for these people to put in injunctions in Israel for you know, putting in submissions which stay insist to look at and all those sorts of things. This should have been dealt with quickly. They turned it back. They had nine days to make a decision. It got back here. No one could make the decision, and we sat there and watched it again.
0: And like, that's really unacceptable. Local activists pointed to the condition of the livestock on board uh, on, on, and the onboard vets said there were no issues with any of the animals, but the but the process of what to do with the cattle is actually delayed by these this action by the activists. Can I say?
1: Certainly, it's been delayed, and and you know, I I uh, as a veterinarian myself, uh, I I trust the opinion of the onboard vet, but more importantly, I trust the opinion of the uh, independent veterinarians who went on board and the department of veterinarians. Who it serves animal activists uh, way of doing business to drum up and say these poor things are suffering, and this is all terrible, and they're standing in their own ways. What rubbish. Yeah. I've been on vessels. that is not true, and they know it's not true, but it suits them because they're trying to drum up membership to make this sound far worse than what it was. We want to focus on how do we fix the decision making processes within the department. And Kerry will be quite clearly the department and the minister that this needs to independently be looked at, so this sort of rubbish does not happen again. Can I touch on the disease question
0: again, LSD FMD? I beg pardon. Are you happy with the just-in-case preparations by the various departments involved as they stand at present?
1: You placed me in a difficult position as the uh, ex-national uh yes, <laughs> of exotic disease.
0: Well, there's, <laughs> Look, I would say, from a, from I a, would say that the
1: government stepped right up and I'm, I'm, uh, I, I believe that Minister Watt and his department deserve credit uh-huh. for the manner in which they got uh, going on LSD. They've progressed an LSD action plan, which uh, I think we've just had the latest report on. Um, they continue to support uh, Indonesia and in its efforts to manage FMD and LSD. Um, I believe they've done a pretty good job in this space and I think the preparedness in Australia um, has been taken on board by industry Um, and particularly some of our, uh, say, governments have also uh, contributed pretty significantly. You can always do more Um, and uh, the thing I always say to our members and uh, I say to producers is, you know, get your own house in order as well. Have your biosecurity plan, Uh, look at the manner in which you manage stock on and off the property. All of those things contribute to, uh, to improve biosecurity outcomes.
0: So the boy who cried more, please. Uh, what, what more do you, what do you like to see in this area?
1: I'd certainly like to see us continue in the preparation and continue to have a clear understanding of, uh, of how we would manage this. And I think importantly, and, and again, some state governments have, we need to be uh, ensuring that they're investing in having some boots on the ground. Because uh, certainly over time, my experience in agriculture was that uh, state governments had very slowly moved out of agriculture, particularly resources and particularly bodies on the ground. Some now, particularly off the back of yeah. of this disease thing, have started to improve that situation. But it, I think everyone can still do more in this space to ensure we've got the appropriate resources on the ground. Same with vets. We need to be training vets. And that's one thing we will be talking to the department about is how do we instigate these sorts of things, so we can use the private practitioners who are out there as another uh, observation and another trained resource to be used, God forbid, if anything happens. I just noticed in America
0: there's a, a huge supply shortage of vets in America as well as Australia.
1: There certainly appears to be a supply shortage of veterinarians who are prepared to go out and reach rural rural Especially big animal vets. Indeed, they no, all yep. want,
0: want to stay in the suburbs and new to cats and dogs, uh, but they don't want to work with
1: um, livestock. And the challenge in the veterinary profession is not really that much different to the challenge in other professions like uh, medical doctors or uh, or teachers or lawyers or whatever. You know, a lot of this is about personal choice. A lot of it is about uh, the broader support that's provided in in schooling and in facilities and yeah. you know all those sorts of things. All the challenges those of us who've lived in Regional communities have known for years, and some are not prepared to put themselves through that. But again, I think that uh, we need to be thinking of a holistic approach to this. It's not just about paying their hex fees if they go and work in the country. That would certainly help. Yeah. But we need to be thinking about much broader ways of supporting professionals out in the country. I, I think
0: the hex fees are a wonderful idea. The, the, another numbers uh, business. I, I noticed our beef exports boomed in January, but skilled staff. To process those exports remain a real issue. Is cattle Australia contributing here?
1: Well, we certainly through consultations with our colleagues in Alec and, uh, and the processing community, um, and uh, our membership within NFF who talks more broadly on these uh, on these uh, 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 HR employment issues. But again, we see the development and the maintenance of skilled staff and committed staff as being a really, really important component of the cattle industry, and in fact. You know, happy to talk to you today, we're just about to stand, stand our, uh, our future champions um, uh, course back up again um, and uh, looking to develop uh, those people moving into the industry and develop their skills. Is there any joy
0: in any immediate government policy or help to resolve and put some fizz into the Meatworks labour issue? It seems to have been going on for years and years.
1: Uh, yes, it has been, and uh, I know my uh, my colleagues in Alec are uh, talking, you know, uh, all the time on this issue to try and make sure they can secure the workforce they need. But you know, I I, I believe it's probably as it's 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 another symptom of uh, of trying to get that sort of workforces out, and we've had successive governments uh, try all sorts of plans, whether it be uh, Pacific Labor, whether it be ag visas, whatever it be, and there's a whole range of those. Uh, those policies out there. Um, but, the, you know, I simply say the tightening of some of the rules associated with recent government uh, legislation um, would mean I think some of those challenges are going to become harder, particularly around the way in which you manage contractors. Another issue, and, and tell me if
0: it's not in your bailiwick, but um, I suspect it is, it's been uh, mentioned here and elsewhere so many times, the settlement of the live export case relating to the Ludwig decision of 2011. And the court case of um two thousand and twenty I think it was. What what is going on
1: here? What another what another disgrace. They lost. And they want to pay as little as possible. You know, there are there are current members of the current cabinet who are involved in that decision, uh, who are in the cabinet room and when, when Ludwig made that decision. You know. They they need to get on and they need to settle this and they need to pay Fair compensation, not low-balling people, but fair compensation to those people who were terribly affected by what was seen to be an illegal decision. It's pretty cut and dried, Kerry, and they need to get on and sort it.
0: Yes, the court judgment actually said the minister was ruled to have acted recklessly and committed misfeasance. Oh, that's, a, uh, that's a mile away from malfeasance, but misfeasance is doing something wrong, even unintentionally, and it's still misfeasance, and they're still liable.
1: Absolutely, they're liable. So
0: do, do you have any any off-the-record conversation which might tell you what the government is thinking, or do they just hesitate to put their hand in their pocket and pay up?
1: It, it, uh, it's been challenging to get clear answers, um, and uh, I would welcome the opportunity to have even off-the-record conversations yeah. in, in regard to this but we just got it they need to get this settled and they need to get it done and they need to not lowball both all of the supply chain that was affected through were you know what was seen to be a pretty terrible decision uh,
0: the there's a court costs involved here because it it seems to me that in the background there might be a lawyer's picnic here as well
1: well, I'm not close enough to it, um, yeah. and I don't know the arrangements of the lawyers and uh, and uh, and the class action um, claimants. So, uh, I'm probably not qualified to even uh, have an opinion in that what, case. What,
0: but the fund is growing. I understand at six percent compound per annum.
1: Could well be. And, I, again, I, I'm not close enough to that side of it, Kerry.
0: Yeah, but the, and but there's no uh, scuttlebutt about when something when something some agreement might be reached.
1: Well. If there
0: just, is, just, I'm not hearing it. Just, It's t- <laughs> totally amazing that it was it's been going on for so long for, since 2011 and the court case has been going on since 2020. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Trying to get blood out of a stone. Mm. So what? So two other words, sustainability? Yep. What are you doing with that, Carb- uh, Cattle Australia?
1: Well, as on top of the, uh, the work that we want to start pursuing in that, carbon space, there's the work we're doing uh, in regard to getting a definition of deforestation under Australian conditions and that's work that's ongoing now and that's work that's required across the supply chain and in fact we've got a group from across the supply chain as an advisory board to advise our, uh, our Cattle Australia board in uh, the way we want to take this definitional issue through. We've got the EU who's going to be introducing um, regulation on the, in this space by the end of this year and we need to move, and we need to move and define this in the Australian context so we can then have a standard, if you like, that can be used across the supply chain so we don't have any interruption in our export markets, and that's something we've taken very seriously that we're investing in, and uh, and uh, we uh, are progressing that work. And In fact, even today, Kerry, um, I'm not sure when your podcast will be on, but certainly later today we've got uh, a a seminar, a, a webinar, and that's our second one in this space, and very focused on uh, what producers are doing in this space as well. So very focused on this and very focused on it for a continued market access issue. Chris
0: Parker, thank you so much for your your valuable time today and I wish you well and the very, very best of luck in your endeavours for Cattle Australia. Thanks for your time on the grill for Beef
1: Central. Thank you. Great to be with you. Cheers.
0: And thank you for joining us until next time. I'm Kerry Lonigan. This has been The Weekly Grill, brought to you by Elders and Rhinogard by Zoetis.